think that sometimes when opportunities are presented to you, you really need to sit back and really think really hard, what would the outcome be? And that requires a level of maturity. Hello and welcome to the Job Speakers Podcast. My name is Robert Hendrickson, and my goal is to provide to you career and life advice, one job at a time. How do I do that? Well, the first thing I need to do is find guests, and this episode represents our 44th consecutive weekly guest here on the show. The next thing is to ask the right questions, the questions you would want to ask to get to two things. What is this job really about? But also, what's the personal journey and career story behind it? Because regardless of the job being covered, there's great wisdom out there. People have lived things before you have and have things to share with you to help you make good choices, better choices, maybe avoid pitfalls, and essentially sidestep the things they had to walk straight through. So that's what the podcast is all about. I'm really excited you've decided to join us today. Before I tell you a little bit about our guest this week, Hugo Lembert, I promised last week to share a feel-good story, and this one takes the cake. As I've said to you before, doing a podcast can be a lonely business. You sometimes don't really know if the things you're doing are making an impact. Well, if you go back a few weeks, you'll find an episode covering Michael Doherty. Michael's an old friend of mine. That was an atypical episode because in Michael's case, he had lost his job during the pandemic, and I wanted to explore that a little bit with him and also his past jobs. Well, fast forward to a few weeks ago, and I got a call from Michael. We speak probably every week or two anyway, but he said, I have something you're not going to believe, and I said, what's that? He said, well, you know, I did manage to find a job, but I've been pursuing some leads before I managed to land the current job I have. So thankfully, he was back to work. And he um, discussed that he was basically talking to a company on the East Coast about a sales position. And it was moving along, but not really quickly. Well, that changed when he received a phone call from the president of the company. And the president said this, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, Michael... You know, I was interested in you and your background, but I stumbled across this podcast uh, and it was you uh, really telling your story. And he said to Michael, all I can say is everything you said resonated. Your background is not dissimilar to mine. Your positivity, despite setbacks, really everything you said made me make you this offer, which is tell me what you need to join my team. Blank sheet of paper. Tell me what salary you need, what benefits you need but I now know I have the right guy and I want to make sure you join my team. Well, that was a Friday night. I remember it vividly. It made my my weekend. Not only can I now say the podcast helped someone, it helped one of my oldest and dearest friends in the world in the most unusual ways. Fast forward again, and I can now uh, tell you with a big smile on my face that Michael ended up working out the details. He traveled uh, to meet the owner They worked out the arrangement, and now Michael is now a VP uh, of sales of North America uh, for this this business. And boy, it just proves some of the themes you've heard on the podcast around create opportunities for yourself, put yourself out there. You never know what might happen. I never in a million years would have guessed that I could have even a small part in helping my friend's path, but there you are. Michael, in fact, is going to be talking to the owner to see if he might even come on. And if he does, he can tell it in his words, probably much better than I can in mine. 
But I did promise to share that story. And uh, again, as they say in the UK, I'm chuffed that that it occurred. And uh, for me, um, it's it's really priceless. So uh, without further ado, we'll jump into the episode with Hugo. Hugo is also a friend who's been in the advertising space for a very long time in the sales space, uh, print and now digital media. I'll let him tell you about what he does for a living. But uh, Hugo's a great guy, again, a friend, and uh, enjoy the episode. We did have a few audio glitches, so please be patient. As you know, you can only control so many things. And then stick around till the end, and I'll say a few words about some upcoming guests. Again, enjoy the episode. Hello, Hugo. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me here. Can you tell us what you do for a living? Well, I am. I work for a digital marketing uh, firm national digital marketing firm that helps apartment communities find uh, prospects, renters. So we're looking for renters to fill up these communities. You talk about finding renters. What are the things that you do to do that? Uh, Basically, I talk to, I work very closely with marketing directors, asset managers. I work closely with regional directors that are responsible for leasing up these communities uh, for filling up, you know, for increasing their occupancy levels. So uh, we have, uh, we do, we support the apartment community industry through our ILSs, our internet listing services. Uh, The four ILSs that I'm associated with are apartment guide, rent.com, live lovely and uh, rentals.com. I don't know if you're familiar with them. And your role specifically, where do you spend most of your time? I spend most of my time talking to marketing directors, (laughs) Uh, really kind of uncovering their needs and really solving problems. So, you know, uh, right now with the COVID, you know, pandemic, uh, it's been a challenge to, especially in the DC market, uh, where where a lot of people are moving out of the city um and going into the suburbs and you know you've got that exodus right you know um and that might change in a couple of years but right now um apartment communities in the dc metro area especially in the district are suffering they're losing a lot of tenants so um i spend a lot of time uh trying to uh help marketing directors and you know, property managers to retain uh, their uh, tenants and to uh, reach out to new prospects. Can you give us a a tangible example of how you would help a marketing person retain tenants? Well, I mean, definitely, um, for example, I would have a conversation with a property manager or marketing director and we would gain, uh, we would gather information about the apartment community. And that information may include images of the, pro- of, of the apartments and floor plans and any, type of, and any type of data that might entice prospects to click on their listing. So basically it's a listing service. It's more like a, let's put it this way. It's like a digital classified advertising. Those of us who are older probably know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a digital classified advertising marketplace, you know, really with, with an array of apartment, you know, with a offering apartments for rent. And your role specifically, Hugo, do you get a team to take the photos and write these listings? What, what do you do to take that 
idea they have to really sell their property, so to speak, and then get into these listing services? What's your role or your team's role to kind of cross that bridge? That's a very good question. Uh, we do have a customer success team that takes care of those uh, of, of that operation. Uh, they gather the floor plans, they gather images, the photos, and they put together the listing for us. They construct uh, the listing that would appear on the um, ILS. Got it. So your job is really to entice these these marketing directors, these property managers to use the listing service. Then this other team comes in and you pull together the 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 copy, the photos, and now they have yep. basically a a channel to advertise their property, their their rooms, their their units. That is absolutely correct. What is a good day in Hugo's mind as he's driving home uh, from from the job? A good day is a day where I have accomplished something, conducted a presentation, or helped you know a fellow worker you know, with their, uh, with whatever issue that they're facing. But a good day for me would be when you close the sale, really, when you're closing a deal. I mean, that's basically, that would be a good day for me. Closing a sale. How many of those are you expected to do in a given week or a given month based on how your employer essentially evaluates you? Making the sale is just the beginning of the, you know, that's the beginning of the process. Maintaining it is really what you know, that, that's the challenge, maintaining the client. Uh, we are expected to at least make about 15 contacts per day. Uh, having 15 conversations uh, per day, uh, we are expected to close at least four um, new, brand new uh, accounts per month. Well, that is part of the goal. I mean, the other part, I mean, we do have digital marketing offerings, you know, other than providing the core package that we um, offer to our clients, um, we do have social media advertising, reputation management tools, we do have leasing uh, operations backup, we have, we have several other services that are available to our clients, and we have a target for that as well. So basically, we need to bring in about four core clients and then we need to sell a certain amount of DMS, what we call digital marketing services uh, products uh, for a month. Is it true that in sales, you need to thrive on pressure? Hmm. Interesting. Yes and no. I think that there is a thing called good pressure, right? In sales, you have to have a sense of urgency. I mean, the world is just changing, you know, rapidly. Um, what you know today becomes obsolete in a couple of months, you know, in my world anyway. I mean, in the advertising and in the media world, I mean, that is definitely, it's a never-ending process, a never-ending uh, evolution. I think that you have to have a sense of urgency, but at the same time, you need to remain calm when, you know, when the weather hits, when things go south, right? So um, I think it's good. It, it, I think it's good to have a certain amount of pressure as long as it's healthy. You talked about closing deals. What's your best month ever in terms of the number of new accounts signed up? What do you mean? Like quantity. Um, Quantity, the best number that I've had 
um, have been in a particular month, could be around 10, 10 to 15, any particular month. And I'm talking in general. I mean, things are not the way they are. I mean, this is pre-COVID. Um, right now, a good month to me, it's about four or five. When you think about what you do every day, first tell me what you think your superpower is that makes you good at it. And then tell me something you wish you were better at. I think I'm good in relationship building, uh, building friendships, building uh, rela uh, business relationships. I'm very good at that. Um, I can be a little better in paying closer attention to detail. Um, I'm detail oriented, but um, I could do better there at that department. If someone's listening and, and sort of latches on to what you said about the importance of relationships, could you give that person a tip? How do you do that well? Seek to understand, as Stephen Covey says. Um, you know, I think that um, you need to understand that you need to earn someone's trust. Once you earn that, you have to work on it. Um, it's a process. It's all about trust in a relationship, whether it's a business relationship or otherwise. Is there something you do specifically to earn trust? Maybe a practice or a habit that's paid off for you in the past and that you continue to use today? I listen to my friends and to my business, uh, my colleagues. And I'm always on the lookout to help out. I'm always trying to help out. So I make myself, I always make myself available for um, whether it's a hand here or there or an ear, um, I'm there for them. And I think that most people know that. So in a sense, you sort of go out of your way to make sure you help help them solve their problems and work through whatever it is they're dealing with. I think there's a sense of satisfaction with that, Robert. You know, I really think so. Um, I'm very, uh, I, I do it for myself, <laughs> you know, in a way where, um, you know, if you help somebody, uh, you feel good about yourself, right? So, and it comes, it usually comes back to you. How long have you been doing this, Hugo? Too long. I started out, as a telemarketer in the newspaper industry, working for a chain of newspapers in Brooklyn, New York. And that was a couple of decades ago. So I've been doing this for about, and you know, I've worked myself up from being an ad taker to a classified advertising director, uh, back going into a sales, you know, uh, to a direct role in, in sales. I've been doing this for about 30 years. So 30 years in the business of selling, some, some differences along the way. How long have you been in your specific role that you described you're doing today? About the, the last eight years. What do you like the most about your job? What do I like the most? I like the sense of accomplishment when I open up a dialogue with someone, I convince them to go in a certain direction. And that direction is one that they would benefit from. If there was one thing you might change about your job, what would that be? Paperwork. <laughs> um, I think that there's just way too much, um, you know, with all the technology and everything else going on, there's just a lot of uh, duplication in administrative tasks. I would probably simplify that process a little bit more. I mean, I wish it were simpler. Uh, that, that is the one part of the job that, you know, that 
I think that most salespeople actually uh, dislike. As you were talking about being able to listen to someone and really help them, it occurred to me to ask you this question. How important is it in sales to have a, a strong set of assets at your disposal to use as part of your value proposition? Can you kind of speak to that and then talk about how you maybe as the front line bring that intelligence back to the business so that perhaps those offerings could be tweaked and improved? Before you get there, Robert, you have to conduct your discovery sessions with your clients, right? To uncover what their needs and their wants are and see if you have, if your products and services match those needs. I mean, if you'll be able to, to uh, fulfill those needs. Now, in order to do that, you know, you would, uh, like for example, we have a situation where apartments.com is a main competitor of ours, right? So they command about what? They have about maybe a few billion unique visitors on their site. We have about 15 million on our site that visit us per month, right? A value would be that, hey, we tell our clients, we say, listen, you may be advertising here, but about 50% or 52% of, the, of our visitors, right, do not visit a co-star site or apartments.com. So you're missing out on those, at that uh, audience. Okay, so that is, a value, that, is a, that is valuable to the client because they can complement you know, their advertising by adding us as a source. Or you know, um, the return on investment, you know, for example, our rates, we thrive on that. Our rates are com very competitive. So um, the return on investment is a lot higher um, another value would be, you know, our cost per lead or lease that each, you know, that, that it, their cost per lead, if it goes down and we can prove that it goes down, that is a benefit to them. If we can, we can prove that the traffic goes up, that is another benefit. So, you know, once we kind of have an idea what type of traffic they're, what type of traffic they're expecting, what do they need? You know, what type of, um, I don't want to say audience, um, number of prospects or how bad do they need to, or how fast do they need to um, improve their occupancy levels? I mean, you know, we can come up with the right solution and we can, we can tailor that solution to fit their needs, if that makes sense. Have you ever, based on a meeting with a, a client or a prospect, have you ever- yep discovered an idea for a, a new service or an enhanced service that you brought back to your team so that you could offer to others? I had that has happened. There was a situation where I was at a newspaper group and we were part of the NIE, Newspapers and Education Program. And that paper, uh, that chain had, actually it was a daily newspaper. I take that back. Um, they were part of the NIE and we had a couple of schools that were using the paper for advertising purposes, but we really did not have any editorial content. So I basically drew a proposal for an education supplement where we can pull the editorial department and write articles about, you know, education 
and get the colleges and universities involved with the newspaper at another level. So that became, so the newspaper, although other papers have, you know, had this already, but we had, we launched an education supplement and that brought in a lot of money. Which is good for the Hugo world. Yeah, that brought in a lot of money because all of a sudden we had our account base was diversified. We had colleges and universities. Um, we've got we had a section of the newspaper that was very well uh, welcomed and um, and needed, really. You summarized your career so quickly that I don't know that you gave it enough attention in terms of the major stopping points, the things you did along the way. Can you go back to, let's go way back, Hugo. What'd you do when you were about 10 or 11? And then fast forward to working age, give us a sense for that journey. And as you're doing it, try to convey what you learned along the way. Well, you know, when I was 10 or 11 years old, I was actually living in another country. Um, I was, I, I, I spent the first years of my life in New York City, but at the age of eight, I moved to the Dominican Republic and I lived there for 10 years. I didn't really, I, I was really in a middle, typical middle-class family. We had maids and all that other stuff. So I didn't really work. <laughs> but at the age of 17, my very first job was at a duty-free shop in at the airport in the Dominican Republic. That was my first job. So then at the age of 18, I decided to come back to the States and I joined my brother in New York and I went to school. But as I went to school, I mean, I also started working and I got involved in the retail business. You know, I got involved in the antiques. I worked for antique stores and used furniture stores. Not only that I was selling antiques, but I was restoring them and refinishing pieces and things like that. This is when I was like, what, 18, 17, 18 years old. As I was going to school, quickly after that, Rob, I just jumped into the advertising world. I mean, I was on Sheepshead Bay Road in Brooklyn. I was walking down the street. I saw this big sign, Bay News, which is uh, the community newspaper. I walked in and applied for a job with no sales experience, with no experience at all, other than the couple of months that I worked at a duty-free shop in the Dominican Republic and the antiques, you know, the antique stores that I worked in in, in, in New York, um, they accepted, you know, that I, I, I accepted the, the position. I just started selling advertising space for new uh, newspaper. That went on for a few years. And then I got deeper into management. I got involved in more into the management aspect of it, where I would be responsible not only for the revenue, but for the production of classified advertising sections for new for newspapers and, and even magazines. So um, I worked for the Bay News for about eight years. That was a chain of 12 weekly newspapers. Then from there, I wanted to expand and I wanted to also leverage my bicultural background. And I accepted a position at El Diario La Prensa, which is a Spanish language. Well, I don't know if it's still around. I mean, the paper itself, 
was the Spanish language daily newspaper in New York City, the oldest one in the country. I went in there as a telemarketing manager, and then I got out of there as a new business development manager. So I was dealing with classified advertising, national advertising, and retail advertising. Uh, there, I just went from, from American Lawyer Magazine. I worked with them for a while, uh, American Lawyer Media. After that, September 11th hit, and then I came to Virginia. I joined a group of 18 community weekly newspapers. So I was a classified advertising manager for those 18 papers, selling advertising space for the classified sections, as well as the what we call ROP or run of press area of the paper, which is outside the classifieds. I don't think those terms exist anymore. After Times Community Newspapers, I went on to and joined the, manage, the management team for the Washington Examiner. So there I was put in a position where I was responsible for the revenue generated through colleges and universities, employment agencies, and companies that were recruiting in recruitment, recruitment advertising. So I did that for a while. And then the media just changed. I mean, the total landscape changed. I mean, Craigslist came along, Monster came along. And I mean, the new, the classified advertising space, you know, for a publisher, that was like the most profitable section of the paper be all, all of a sudden tanked, <laughs> disappeared. <laughs> Within a couple of years, I would say since 05, my career has been in a constant state of evolution, you know, where I have to move from, I mean, we did digital back in the day as well. I mean, don't get me wrong. I wasn't just print. I mean, you know, we'd had some sort of digital um, offerings, but now this is strictly, you know, digital media marketing, digital marketing. The Washington Examiner was my last newspaper job. Then I had to move to, I, I moved into a startup. There we had a site that was generated by, the content was generated by the public. Citizens journalism, they called it back then. That's blogging really, right? We created the the users created the contact content and we sold around that content that company did very well but unfortunately i think that the marketing was ahead of the operation itself i mean sales were ahead i i really don't know how it folded and why it folded after that folded um i just started in the apartment community sector i took like maybe four or five steps back you know, in a direct sales role where I did very well selling internet listing services to apartment communities and, inter you know, to property management companies. And that's what I'm doing right now. Hugo, what would your dream job be? Other than being an actor, I think that my dream job would be a publisher because I think that that is a position where you can make change. When you reflect on your career, are there any regrets? I've made a couple of mistakes. There, there, I've made a few mistakes. There's no doubt about that. You were about to share one, then you didn't. Why? No, because I don't think that is that would have made a difference. I mean, I think that sometimes when opportunities are presented to you, you really need to sit back and really think really hard. What would the outcome be? And that requires a level of maturity. 
you know, and certain opportunities to me to as a personally were presented to me when I was very young, very young and not as much, you know, I wish I knew back then what I know now. I think that I wish I could have stayed in the newspaper industry a little bit longer and weathered the transformation in the media landscape. I didn't do that. Um, I kind of bailed out and I um, went on to, I got involved with a startup and it was like something new and it was, you know, the blog site that I was talking to you about, Mm -hmm. you know, looking back now, I mean, there was like no future there. So I think that I should have weathered the, I I think that the outcome of my career would have been different if I would have stayed there a little bit longer. I mean, other opportunities or different opportunities would have presented themselves. It's something that, you know, I think about with younger people and and they need to realize that those decisions they make, those forks in the road, I think even more so when you're younger, have longer term impacts and ramifications than maybe later. So that's, that's good for people to hear. As you reflect on your entire career, what you've learned, what you've experienced, if you were to package all of that into advice, career advice for the world to hear, what would that advice be? Listen, listen, listen. Be honest and don't fool yourself. I think that sometimes, when, especially when you're younger, you think you're on top of the world and you think that you know everything and you, know, you think that, and, and sometimes you, know, you take advice some bad advice, I think you need to listen to yourself. Be true to yourself. That's what I mean by don't fool yourself. And just just be very cognizant of what's around you. I mean, especially in the workplace, um, one of the things that I think I I could have done better in the first half of my career was to be more cognizant of the people around me. Okay, because those are the people, I mean, my clients are not the ones that I'm going after. My clients are also my coworkers and my boss. I mean, those are my primary clients, right? So, I mean, the first half of my career, I really did not pay much attention to, you know, and I'm not the political type, you know, I'm not into politics or anything like that. Uh, But you need to have that emotional intelligence, And you need to really kind of be very cognizant of what's going on around you. And before you talk, think. Hugo, thank you for your time and for sharing your story. It sounds like some of it has gone well and some of it you might have tweaked along the way. But I appreciate your time and insight. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Hugo, for, uh, for your story. But also thank you for being a good friend. I mentioned before with guests, sometimes they don't come through. And Hugo, by virtue of his character, said, of course, uh, you know, I can help you out. Just let me know when you need me to come on. I don't know that being interviewed for a podcast was the purest form of joy for Hugo. Uh, But uh, thank you, my friend, for, for doing that. For some of our younger listeners out there, if you're wondering how on earth you're going to make the best decisions early on, like Hugo talked about for him and how important they were, in his journey, um, I only have a few bits of advice. The first is you can't go wrong if you make the choices that give you the most leverage in the future. And by that, I mean new skills, knowledge, experience, 
relationships, the size and quality of your network. It's almost never the case that the easy route or the easy path pays off in the end. I remember in college, I was pretty determined to get straight A's. That's sort of how I was wired. And we had an opportunity to pick a philosophy course. I remember sitting around the dorm with my roommates and we all knew about the different teachers. And we all knew which ones are easy and which ones are difficult. Well, the way I sort of looked at it, you know, I was paying a lot for college. And I figured I'd better learn something. So I picked the hardest philosophy teacher. And although I didn't get an A, I think I got a B plus, I learned a ton in that course. I learned how to think. I learned how to trust myself. I learned how to put together an argument and to do it all on a fly. I remember his were the tests where you didn't even know what he was going to ask. You had just better be prepared and have read, you know, the books we had to read and had thought about them so that you could be nimble when asked. So again, when those big decisions come, go at them head first, be ambitious, and prepare yourself for your future. Next week's guest I really can't tell you about because I don't know that she's going to be lined up in time. But boy, she's going to be a big deal. I'll just say that. And I can't wait to, uh, to tell you more, but I don't want to uh, jinx myself. I want to make sure we get, get her locked in. But pay attention, because I think if we do, you're going to absolutely love that episode. That's it from, from here. I hope you all have a really great week. Be good, be well, be safe, and until next time, goodbye.